This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. It's Wednesday, February 7th. They had the votes until a congressman rushed over from the hospital. We start here. The resolution is not adopted. In a dramatic upset, the Secretary of Homeland Security avoids impeachment. Not only is impeaching a cabinet secretary rare, but also, wow, the drama. An embarrassing miscount for Republicans, but what does it mean for the border crisis? The mother of a school shooter is convicted on her own. We find the defendant guilty of involuntary manslaughter. Now, could parents be found complicit in other shootings? And in his first interview since dropping out, Chris Christie sounds the alarm. Donald Trump doesn't just want to be king now. He wants to be king forever. George Stephanopoulos is in the house with the exclusive. From ABC News, this is Start Here. I'm Brad Milkey. The House of Representatives doesn't just have the power to impeach presidents. It's got power over lots of federal positions. It can impeach vice presidents, judges. But only once before has it ever impeached a member of a presidential cabinet. Well, last night, for the first time in more than a century, the House was poised to do it again. Republicans in Congress showed up to the Hill yesterday ready to impeach Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. Remember, in the House, you just need a majority to make that happen. It's the Senate where you need the big two-thirds majority to remove the guy from power. Well, in a major surprise, at the very last minute, this motion failed, all because of one vote. Some dramatic stuff playing out here. Let's take it to the House right now, where ABC's Jay O'Brien covers Congress. Jay, what happened here? Oh my, Brad, what happened here? I mean, this impeachment resolution for Mayorkas went down in spectacular congressional fashion. Not only is impeaching a cabinet secretary rare, but also... Wow, the drama to get Republicans even close to an impeachment vote. So uh, let me start you with what happened at the beginning. He has presided over and helped usher in the largest illegal immigration catastrophe in our nation's history. Republicans released these articles of impeachment against Secretary Mayorkas because they say that he's violating U.S. immigration law by not enacting hardline border security provisions at the U.S.-Mexico border. DHS, by the way, they call that baseless. They say that Republicans are weaponizing a policy disagreement rather than a high crime in a misdemeanor. In a process akin to throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what sticks, Republicans have cooked up vague, unprecedented grounds to impeach Secretary Mayorkas. But in the last few days, we start to hear from some moderate Republicans, just a handful, who say they're a little skeptical. Secretary Mayorkas is guilty of maladministration of our immigration laws on a cosmic scale. But we know that's not grounds for impeachment because the American founders specifically rejected it. Even the day they were going to vote yesterday, there was this open question of would they even put it on the floor? Do they even have the votes? Members will record their votes by electronic device. This will be a five minute vote. 
So we start to see those two Republicans, Ken Buck, Tom McClintock, vote early no on this impeachment resolution. Then there's a third, Mike Gallagher, who had been kind of tight-lipped over the course of the day as to exactly how he was going to vote. Those three Republicans mean that the vote could fail if every single Democrat showed up and was voting, but not every single Democrat was there. Al Green, Democrat of Texas, wasn't there. He was absent. And so because Al Green is not there, even though you have those Republican no votes, it's on track to pass. And then at the last moment, as we're on the air, live on ABC News Live, Al Green shows up. And he goes into the chamber and he votes no, which means those three Republican no votes are enough to tank the Mayorkas impeachment resolution and it fails. The yeas are 214 and the nays are 216. The resolution is not adopted. And so we're now learning from a source that Al Green was in fact in hospital scrubs and socks when he showed up to that vote. Uh, honestly, we're still trying to figure out where he was prior to voting, but it just shows you A, how much his vote was needed and B, how much he just scrambled into the chamber to get there to cast that vote. Wow. Okay. So like they assumed a certain number of Democrats are showing up, then we need to muster this many votes. But then an extra Democrat shows up and they're like, oh, shoot, we we lost. I mean, is that the end of this then? Mayorkas stays in? So at the last moment, when it becomes clear that this is going to fail, there's a prominent Republican who changes his yes vote to no. And it means Republicans then have the prerogative to bring this back again on a motion to reconsider. Mr. Moore of Utah moves to reconsider the vote on adoption of House Resolution 863. And it leaves the door open for them to reintroduce these impeachment articles against Alejandro Mayorkas for another vote. And in fact, Speaker Johnson told my colleague John Parkinson that yes, they would bring this vote again. And he believes that he will have the votes to pass this when they bring it up again. He, he found that the yeas were, uh, were in favor of the motion to reconsider. He's postponing that till tomorrow. Steve Scalise is supposed to show up tomorrow morning. I talked to Ken Buck, one of the prominent no holdout votes that we were talking about. Ken Buck said to me that he believes his understanding of all of this is that they're going to bring this up when Steve Scalise, the number two Republican in the House, is back from cancer treatment so they can offset one of those three no votes with Steve Scalise's yes vote. Ken Buck believes that could happen as soon as this week. But wait, Jay, here's what I'm confused. It seems embarrassing for Republicans, right? Like, why even hold this vote if you thought it was going to be that close, where you thought you might eke it out by one vote, and then this Democrat shows up all of a sudden? Like, it seems like not a great look. Oh, it's a huge embarrassment. This was a priority for Speaker Johnson early on in his tenure as Speaker. The facts are the facts. Secretary Mayorkas is breaking the law. It's something that the hard right of the House Republican Conference has been pushing for for a long time. Specifically, it's a big priority, for instance, of Marjorie Taylor Greene's. Mm. So this was an element early on of Johnson trying to appease that hard right flank of his party. It fails. And so he almost has to bring it up again and show that he's going to try to do everything he can and eke every single vote out to get this across the goal line. This was a big priority of a fairly new, remember, Speaker of the House. Well, and that makes me wonder then, Jay, what does this mean for the battle over the border right now? Because while Republicans have been saying the border is such a mess, we got to make this historic impeachment. They apparently don't even want to hold a vote on like what would be a landmark border security bill. I mean, does this kind of change who's got power of this topic? Like who's seen as the legitimate power brokers who could get something done? I mean, what does this mean for the rest of Congress? Well, it's interesting because what you're looking at, Brad, is 
forward momentum on this issue stalled across the Capitol. I think this bill is dead is unfortunate because I, every Republican I know serving in Congress wants to secure the border. And we had a real opportunity to do so. Remember, there's this split screen that's been playing out as the House has marched toward impeaching Alejandro Mayorkas. On the other side of the Capitol, senators were brokering this bipartisan border deal that had funding for Ukraine and Israel, as well as significant reforms to the U.S. immigration system. We don't want to codify Biden's open door policy. And support for that deal over the last few days, including the day the House voted to impeach Mayorkas and it failed, withered completely. I mean, it's actually our side that wanted to tackle the border issue. We started it. And so the Senate, Mitch McConnell even admitted, was completely stalled and hamstrung and likely not to vote that deal into law. On the other side of the House, Republicans obviously taking a much more hardline position when it comes to immigration, impeaching the Homeland Security Secretary in something that DHS says is a sham and a political ploy. But even they can't get forward momentum on this. Right. So just nothing ends up happening because Republicans are not unanimous in what they want to see happen next. All right. Jay O'Brien there at the Capitol. Thank you so much. Thank you, Brett. Next up on Start Here, after a son went on a shooting spree, a jury has found his mother guilty, too. Big implications here. We're back after the break. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Have you ever wondered what you would do with an extra hour in your day? I think about this all the time. I'm like, I would be so productive. I'd exercise more, or I'd read a book, or I'd take a nap, like restore myself. We often find ourselves yearning for these extra hours, but the real question is, what would you do if you were making yourself a priority? Well, how about therapy? It can help you discover what's important so you can make the most of your time. If you've ever benefited from therapy, you know how transformative it can be. It's not just for those who have experienced major trauma. Therapy empowers you to learn positive coping skills, set boundaries, and become the best version of yourself. If you're considering starting therapy, you should give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and tailored to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire. You'll be matched with a licensed therapist. And here's the beauty of it. You can switch therapists if you're not finding the right fit. No additional charge. Take the first step. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash start here today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash start here. We all know there are things in life that you have to compromise on, but when it comes to your health, there should be no compromise. Don't go back to that one doctor, you know the type, like I've had this person before, that doesn't actually listen to you or who seems just in a rush to end your appointment that you spent months making. Instead, check out ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your health. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. You can search by location, availability, and insurance. So no compromises here because with ZocDoc, you got more options than you know. We're talking about booking appointments with tens of thousands of top-rated, patient-reviewed, credible doctors and specialists. Go to ZocDoc.com slash start here and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's ZocDoc, Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash start here. ZocDoc.com slash start here. 
There are so many mass shootings in this country that you'd think there might not be any patterns. After all, we have so many victims, no one's immune from it. But among the perpetrators of mass shootings, especially school shootings, you do see the same patterns over and over. The shooter, 19-year-old Nicholas Cruz. 20-year-old Adam Lanza targeted the school and then killed himself. Salvador Ramos turned 18 just nine days ago overwhelmingly male, overwhelmingly young, either in school or returning to the place where they once attended, overwhelmingly disaffected and distraught to the point where people around these shooters often say they had reason to worry about them in the past. Is it true that the firearm that you used on November the 30th was purchased on November the 26th, 2021 by your father, James Crumbly? Yes. So often, there are also questions about their parents. Like, did they notice the signs? Did they warn anyone? And if they did, why on earth would they keep guns anywhere near their child? Well, yesterday in Michigan, for the very first time, a parent of a school shooter was found complicit in those deaths. On count one of involuntary manslaughter, as to Madison Baldwin, we find the defendant guilty. Jennifer Crumbly, mother of Ethan Crumbly, was found guilty on four counts of involuntary manslaughter. So let's break it down with Brian Buckmeyer. He's a felony trial attorney and an ABC News contributor. Brian, first off, just how significant was this verdict? This verdict is significant in the sense that it creates what we in the legal community call a bright line rule. That if the facts align in your case, as it does with Jennifer Crumbly, uh, you could be liable for involuntary manslaughter. Counselor Sean Hopkins testifying he called the Crumblies after finding disturbing drawings on the shooter's math worksheet with the words, the thoughts won't stop, help me. She sat down in the chair, um, felt a little bit distant. Um, what do you mean by that? More just kind of like it felt like it was a little bit of an inconvenience to be there. Her name is going to be synonymous with like an actual verb. It's like, are, are you a Jennifer Crumbly mother? Or are, are you neglecting your, your child, not seeing the mental health red flags? And if so, do you have a weapon in your home? And is it securely put away in a way the child can't get it? Mm. That's going to be the standard that a lot of prosecutors are going to start looking at this case, both in Michigan and I would bet around the country. Right. OK, so we see the jury. They get the case a couple of days ago. They deliberate for more than a day. And then finally, they come back with these unanimous verdicts. Are we getting a sense of what made the difference to them? Like one of them is actually spoken, I think. Yeah. So this is shocking in of itself because there's a gag order going on right now in this case because James Crumbly is going to be tried in March 5th. So we're not supposed to be hearing from a juror. But we heard from the foreperson that said that the the issue of who was the last parent to have control of that gun uh, with the shooter, that's what they decided on. She knew that that gun looked identical to the one in the drawing. She knew that the gun was accessible to him. She knew it wasn't stored properly. And just to remind our, our listeners, uh, the evidence came out that Jennifer Crumbly went with the shooter to the shooting range. She had told the jury that she had secured, and I'm kind of using air quotes, secured this uh, case with the gun inside of it in the back of her vehicle and told her husband uh, to go put it away. A and that was it. And in the second question, the jury asked, what can we infer from the witnesses that the prosecution did not bring forward in regards to how that gun was obtained by the shooter? And the judge says, no inference. You got to go with what you know. So all the jury knows is she believes after leaving that gun unsecured at the back of the car that it was safe. But clearly we know it wasn't. And I think that's what the jury, at least what the four person is telling us, was the ultimate fact that convicted her. 
That's really interesting too, Brian, because like you said, the reason there's a gag order is there's still another trial happening not so long from now involving the other parent here. So if they're saying, hey, this parent was the last person to really be responsible for this gun that we can tell, does that impact the other case, I guess, about the dad? It does. And I know this sounds a little crazy, but I'm going to, I'm going to give you my thought process. And if it makes sense to you, it makes sense to you. If I'm crazy, I've been called worse, but she testified, Jennifer Crumbly testified that she knew based on what her husband told her that the gun was secured. Now, in terms of impact on James Crumbly case, who's going to give that testimony? No one. Mm. Maybe the prosecutor's got to go to Jennifer Crumbly and say, we'll cut you a deal. You're probably not going to get 60 years. Michigan doesn't typically uh, consecutively sentence people. It's probably somewhere from one to 15 guidelines. If she's a first time offender, she might not get that 15 years. She might get close to three to five years. Don't forget, she's been in prison since November 30th of 2021, meaning she's already done 26 months. That's a little over two years. So maybe the prosecutor says, hey, you've been in for two years. You stay in for another six months if you testify against your husband to ensure we secure a conviction. If you tell the jury what you told us on the stand, that you knew your husband secured that gun, that might be what they need to get a conviction against James Crumbly. Then they can walk away with two convictions and both parents facing some jail time. Well, and Brian, when it comes to this case, and and even if the father is found guilty, are there details here that make it different from what so many other parents over time have been accused of ignoring? I guess I'm trying to figure out, is this something that applies just to these parents or to all parents in some way, as far as what the public and what the law holds people accountable for? I think it's both that it's these parents and all parents. I think these parents did such egregious actions. It's not like the Columbine parents where the, the, the teenagers went and bought guns that the parents didn't know. It wasn't like so many cases where the parents were not uh, aware of the mental health issues. They weren't called in the day of the actual shooting where they see not just a picture of a gun, but the gun they bought their son four days ago with blood everywhere, the voices won't stop, help me. It was just the blatant red flags. And so I think it's about these parents being so much worse than what we've at least heard of in other parents, but then also for all parents to say, we should all be on guard for this. Yes, mental health services in this country are probably lackluster and it's difficult to acquire and difficult in many parts of this country to access, But if you combine missing the red flags with actually buying the gun for the person, Mm -hmm. those two things are massive. It's not illegal to miss red flags. It's not illegal for your child to have mental health issues. At the end of the day, this case is is saying that if you have a gas leak in your home, don't bring a spark into the home as well. Don't buy a gun. All right. That is ABC contributor Brian Buckmeyer. Really great perspective, Brian, on a case that will continue to have reverberations across the country. Uh, Thank you so much. No problem. The other big story that broke yesterday, of course, was a three-judge appeals panel ruled against Donald Trump, saying that just like any other American, a former president can be convicted of crimes committed while in office. The three-judge panel unanimously ruling Former President Trump has become Citizen Trump. Any executive immunity that may have protected him while he served as president no longer protects him against this prosecution. Now, that will still be appealed to the Supreme Court, but it does look more and more likely that the threat of criminal conviction won't even have a huge effect on who Republican voters are rooting for in the nominating contest for president. Well, the Trump rival who kept begging his colleagues to consider all this, of course, was former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, who you remember dropped out of the race last month. And it's clear to me tonight that there isn't a path for me to win the nomination. 
He hasn't done any interviews since, that is, until this week when he spoke to our own George Stephanopoulos. George is with us now. Fascinating interview, George, because so much of Christie's campaign revolved around keeping Trump away from power. Why doesn't he think that's happened? Well, he that was the question he answered. He reflected on it, and basically he says no one else was making the case. The biggest frustration for me is that um, we have so many people in our party who complain about Donald Trump, but none of them are willing to do the hard work that needs to be done to rid our they party and our privately. country. Right. And, you know, he said he knew the his campaign was likely doomed at the first debate when that question was asked, you know, would you support uh, Donald Trump if, even if he were convicted? Would you still support him as your party's choice? Please raise your hand if you would. And everybody but him and Asa Hutchinson raised their hand, and he was sort of dumbfounded by it. Six of these eight candidates who are running against him say it's okay. So how do you expect voters to think it's not okay? But what does it say about the Republican Party right now that you get booed when you say you wouldn't vote for a convicted felon to be president of the United States? It says that none of the people in leadership have been willing to do the hard work to push back against Donald Trump's lies. He still thought it was the right thing to do to keep on prosecuting the case politically. Your critics say it took you too long to get there. Well, as all of them lag far, far behind me. But he, he, sort of, he got the sense that it was, it, was, it was kind of a doomed effort, at least inside the Republican Party. Yeah, and I'm wondering why that is as far as the other sort of leaders of the party right now. Is it about the fear of retribution or something else? Because they're running against him. Partly fear of retribution, partly fear of losing. Remember, and it's a, it's, it's a remarkable commentary on the Republican Party on our country right now. Whenever Christie would bring up, you know, perfectly legitimate issues about the fact that Donald Trump faces 91 felony counts, um, he would get booed. Your anger against the truth is reprehensible. Now, I personally believe that a conviction actually would change the political calculus a, a little bit. And I think he thinks so as well. Mm -hmm. um, but inside the primaries, it's just it's a non-starter. And as far as what when he thinks about a Trump presidency, what does he see? Like a Trump presidency in 2025, you know, Inauguration Day, what does he see? He uses the word mayhem. Mm -hmm. He said it'll be focused on retribution. I cannot imagine the crew that he'll put together. He will not be surrounded by good people. He'll be surrounded entirely by enablers and true believers. And he will do it with an eye much differently than in 16. In 16, he was scared. He didn't expect to win. And he was intimidated by the presidency when he first got there. He will not be this time. He says Trump doesn't really have an agenda beyond his own personal salvation and personal power. He doesn't think much would get done either. And on top of the fact that Donald Trump would be a lame duck, but you know, remarkably in this interview, he doesn't even foreclose the possibility that Trump might try to find some way to stay in past one term if indeed he did win. But I know Donald Trump. Donald Trump doesn't just want to be king now. He wants to be king forever. Now, the question is, he says he'll do anything he can to prevent Donald Trump from being president, but he's still open to a third party run, which, if you look at the polls right now, would hurt Joe Biden more than it would hurt Donald Trump. Yeah, is that how we're going to be talking about the third party stuff? Like, you know, any vote who's for a third party is just a, a vote for the other guy? I asked him that question directly. I don't know what I'm going to do in November, but I'm not voting for Donald Trump under any circumstances. But isn't any vote that's not for Joe Biden, assuming it's the two of them and a handful of third party candidates, isn't any vote that's not for Joe Biden to vote for Donald Trump? 
Well, we could get into all the technicalities and you well, understand. I don't know. I think it's pretty clear that it no, is. No, no, but you get it. He, he kind of jumped around on that a little bit. And he said the way the answer he finally got to was. In my state, my vote is not going to matter a lick. Okay. Well, in New Jersey, my vote doesn't wouldn't matter anyway. My state's going to go. Right, but it almost <laughs> seems like the people who most want to keep Trump or, or Biden, for that matter, out of office, like <laughs> they're almost ensuring that that is the person who wins if they're the ones that jumps in with like a no label sort right. of third party bid, right? Right, and 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 he clearly is open to being asked by no labels. He's not sure he would take it. Well, what I've said in the past is that I'd have to see a path for anybody, not just me, but I think anybody who would accept that would need to see a path to 270, uh, 270 electoral votes. No label says they profess that they're in this only if they feel that they have a legitimate shot at winning the White House, not to be a spoiler. Uh, of Joe Biden for on behalf of, of Donald Trump. We'll see if that actually comes true as they get closer to the decision of whether or not to field a candidate. If there's ever a time in our lifetime when a third party candidate could make a difference, um, I think it's now. But moments before he took the stage, Christy caught a hot mic attacking Haley. And she's going to get smoked. And you and I both know it. She's not up to this. And technically the GOP primary is still going on, right? And I remember the day Christie dropped out, he was caught on that hot mic backstage telling a New Hampshire lawmaker that Nikki Haley's going to get smoked. We talked to that lawmaker, George, in, in New Hampshire when we were there. He said he agreed with Christie, but he didn't want to talk out of school about what was actually, you know, how this all came about. What did Christie tell you? Christie said he didn't know he was on hot mic. The only way he found out was that his son, Andrew, was, I guess, in the Dominican Republic watching the live feed and called his cell phone. I had my phone on vibrate, but the only person who's uh, ringtone burst through um, when I have it on vibrate is my son Andrew and the phone rang and I picked it up and I said I'm getting ready to go out he goes hot mic hot mic hot mic <laughs> but interestingly he did talk to Haley the next day uh, Christy said he said it was about a 45 second phone call she uh, told me I know it's a personal decision to get in a race and it's a tough decision to get out um, I heard everything you said last night including the hot mic and I said uh huh and she said well Good luck. And I said, good luck to you. No apology was uh, asked for and none was given. Is he going to endorse her? Would he ever endorse her? He says no, as long as he says that as long as she believes that Trump, if she can't say that Trump is unfit for office, there's no way he's going to endorse. Her. He said, how embarrassing would it be if I endorse her? And then three weeks later, she runs with him as vice president. Mm. He, he says no way. Uh, I'm not going to be put in that spot again, George. I made one decision in 2016, the only time in my political career where I endorsed someone purely for political reasons, even though I had some misgivings. And that's when I endorsed Donald Trump. And, and it was the biggest mistake I made in my political career. And I'm just not going to repeat that mistake for anybody. And lastly, George, because the question I found the most helpful, I guess, for just understanding this moment was when you asked Christie what it says about the Republican Party that voters don't care anymore. Like They don't care if their candidates found guilty of federal crimes. They don't see crimes as a legitimate reason not to elect someone. Is that sort of the legacy of this election cycle, regardless of who wins? It is to me. It's astonishing to me. We'll see if it bears out as we go uh, through November. And I think it's, it's, it is to, to Christie as well, who, who says, you know, he's got this new book out uh, called What Would Reagan Do? And he, he, th he says that Ronald Reagan would be flabbergasted mm. by what he's seeing in the Republican Party today. Would he recognize the Republican Party today? He would not. He would be dumbfounded by it. And he believes that Reagan would be standing up to it. Bottom line, you think you'll succeed in your mission to make sure Donald Trump is not president again? I don't know, George, but it won't be for lack of trying. I can guarantee you that. All right, uh, George Stephanopoulos, thanks as always. Take care.
Okay, one more quick break. When we come back, if you know her whereabouts all too well, could Taylor Swift sue you? One last thing is next. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. And one last thing. One of the big questions on Super Bowl Sunday is not about the Chiefs or the 49ers. It's whether Taylor Swift can make it to the game. After all, she has a concert in Tokyo the night before. Lucky for her and her new boyfriend, Travis Kelsey, she's got a private jet. But now she's telling the people who track her flights, you need to calm down. In fact, she's threatening a college student with legal action. So here's the story. For years, this young man named Jack Sweeney has been tracking the planes of famous people. This is publicly available information. Every plane is trackable worldwide. He's there telling people where billionaires and politicians and celebrities are flying. The reason, he says, is to show how much damage this handful of billionaires does to the environment. Taylor Swift, though, has a different perspective. A man was arrested for the second time in three days for allegedly stalking near Taylor Swift's home. So in December, her team sent Sweeney a cease and desist order. Now, most people, if they got a letter from the lawyers of one of the more famous people on Earth, they'd stand down. But this college junior has been through this before. Elon Musk once had Sweeney's Twitter account banned for giving out what Musk called assassination coordinates. Sweeney defended himself then, and he's defending himself now. One reason, he says, is that Taylor Swift's team is changing their story. A while back, when people criticized her carbon footprint for owning private jets, her publicist said, nah, she actually is rarely on those planes. Most of the time, they're being borrowed by others. Now, they claim these posts tell you exactly when and where she'll be. The Swift team claims there's no reason to post her jet's whereabouts other than to, quote, stalk, harass, and exert dominion and control. Sweeney says if that's true, why are so many Swifties using his tracker? They clearly don't want to harass her. Plus, he says it's totally legit to track the mileage of potential polluters. He told the Washington Post, quote, her team thinks they can control the world. And that's really what's at the heart of this dust-up. What amount of control do you get to keep your whereabouts private? And does that change based on the type of transportation you use? Sweeney has no plans to leave a blank space on this, meaning on Super Bowl Sunday, sports bettors laying prop bets on Swift's arrival will have up to the second updates. The real betting action, apparently, is whether Travis Kelsey will propose to Swift at the Super Bowl. Like, that is a legit bet that people are making right now. By the way, Swift's team says she pays for carbon offsets. Those basically pay for stuff that will improve the environment as much or more than your flight did. More on all these stories at abcnews.com or the ABC News app. I'm Brad Milkey. See you tomorrow. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. 
We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts.